Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Plus Football. He's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading football's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading football's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading football's heading east. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Ukraine Plus Football Podcast. I'm your host, Adam from Ukrafot24. And as always, I'm here with my excellent co-host. He's whizzing all over Italy at the moment. I'm not quite sure where he is, but it's Mr. Zoria Londonce. Andrew, how are you doing, mate? Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you're listening to this, guys. Yep, currently uh, just stopped off in Milan because I'm going to Shakhtar Inter on Wednesday. Um, just in my hotel room after a wet night in Genoa. But we'll be covering that a bit later on. And also had a busy week last week when I was uh, flying all around uh, Bosnia, which was an all-time great away day, in my opinion. Uh, just a great, great away trip in general. I certainly was. I, I enjoyed, <laughs> I've enjoyed watching the video. Uh, this week since it's come out, Andrew. I mean, what was the vibe like over there from when you got there? And, you know, was it was there a good group of Ukrainians in Bosnia for the match? And, or did they just come in on match day? I saw, what was it, about 200 in the ground? So fans were coming anyway. They had their, pla- they had their plans already secured. They had their flights and all that lot. And luckily it came off that they were given their tickets and they got in the away end. So there was some fracas between the Bosnia ultras and the Ukraine end. Dodgy flag um, was shown in the away end. Bosnian ultras thought it was a Serb flag. It was actually a Russian flag turned upside down that the ultras had stolen from the Russian end at Croatia versus Russia a few days before. But ultimately, I think in the end, it was worked out. No problems in terms of, I think there were some (laughs) apologies made at at some stage between both ends. It didn't stop the anthems being booed or anything like that. Ukraine as a team thrived off the sort of anti-sentiment and in the end uh, got the well-needed win that uh, secured them the playoffs. Good celebrations in general, but as a whole, I think they were subdued on the fact that job is not done yet. Uh, yep, definitely. So I've got to give you credit. I really do, because you've been singing the praises of Dovbik for what feels like forever. And I've, I have been a little bit sceptical of him, but come of the hour, come of the man, eh? what, what great form he's been in. And it was great to see it come through for the national team. Yeah, I, if anyone's seen the vlog when I was when he was coming on, I said this guy's going to get the second goal and he did. And he almost scored one of probably one of the great all-time Ukraine goals, but his shot was saved off the line after he beat about two two different men, and then it was just cleared. He just didn't have the energy to um, finish it. But but yeah, um, really optimistic for him. He's on fine form in the UPL too, and that's all he can do at the moment. Hopefully, he can get that move shortly to maybe one of the better clubs, not in the UPL, in Europe somewhere, so that he can progress um, as is needed because he's got everything, I think, in my opinion. He's got pace, technical ability, uh, dribbling. What more do you need? I know, I know. He's been doing, he's been on great form. He really has. Just one final thing I want to touch on before we move on uh, with the main part of the show today. Petrikov, do you think he's starting to win people over with that? I mean, what else could he have done coming in as temporary manager, being given the job permanently now in a short-term sort of scenario? <laughs> but uh, do you think he's starting to win over the public? I mean, he couldn't have done much more. He's unbeaten as Ukraine manager. He's not lost a game. Yes, there were some dodgy results like the Bosnia draw in Lviv and that draw in Kazakhstan. But I mean, I feel that he's now got the grasp of his squad. He, he risked it playing four at the back, which is not a regular thing from him. 
it almost didn't work out after a terrible first half, but ultimately Ukraine's quality and his substitutions in the second half made the difference. So in that kind of respect, I think his in-game management is improving a lot. Um, and especially as he has quite a good squad to choose from in this particular November window. We'll see what happens come March. And looking forward to the draw, which is this Friday. Hopefully for all our British listeners, we get one of Scotland or Wales, which is all the big fingers. Am I right, Adam? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's that's what we're hoping for. It really is. And, uh, oh, it's going to be the end of a very busy week, I think, for us here at the Ukraine Plus Football Media Channel. Um, it kicks off tomorrow. It's a European sort of bonanza with a bit of uh, international women's football thrown in for, into the mix as well. But we're going to focus on the Champions League today. We're really honoured today to welcome Nima from sempreinter.com as our guest today. Nima, welcome. I'm really thankful that you've took time out to join us. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Now, your credentials run longer than both my arms put together. <laughs> it was it one third of the Italian foot part, being on Football Italia... Calcio Mercato, Di Marzio, Gold. Yeah, yeah, these were Everything. old things. Yeah, it's a mixture of things I used to do and still do. But yeah, no, mainly it's Semprinto.com and uh, we we do the Italian football podcast over on, as you said, at ItaFootPod on, on Twitter and and uh, social media generally, yeah. It's yeah, great, great to have, great to have you here. Where else to begin this week? But as Andrew said, he was in Genoa to watch the, the debut of our dear Mr. Shevchenko at Genoa, in Genoa. What sort of the vibe in Italy, Nima? Can I ask about Andrei Shevchenko taking over there? Is people a bit sceptical or optimistic about the impact he's going to have as a manager? Well, I mean, Genoa recently just uh, changed owners from uh, Enrico Preziosi, who was a bit of a laughing stock and a, quite the character, uh, probably the last uh, cr- really crazy uh, Italian football president who was also so corrupt uh, and wasn't really didn't do much to hide that he was corrupt either. I mean, it's he. I mean, Preziosi. I could do. I, I could do. Like I could. Oh my God! Have you? How long have you got? I could speak for three <laughs> hours, three weeks on all the non, on all the nonsense and craziness that he's been involved in through the years. But the Americans took over um, and they wanted to make a statement. And Davide Ballardini, who has been sacked and hired by Genoa, I don't know how many times now in the last five years, um, is is out. And I don't think he'll ever come back to Genoa because they, you know, they've taken over Genoa. They have big ambitions for the club. They want to grow the club. Um, and I think bringing Shevchenko on was, was a statement in that he's a big name in Italian football, obviously, because of everything he did with AC Milan, although his coaching career hasn't exactly been that great. But I think it was more for them to show off their statement uh, as owners of what they hope to achieve. I don't know um, if Shevchenko will last the entire season. I'm not entirely sure because I think when you're in this position that Genoa are, are in, when you're in the bottom of trying to fight to avoid relegation and Genoa, make no mistake, I think Genoa squad is more than good enough to stay up. Um, not, you know, Good enough, yes, but that, but also because there are at least four teams with with squads that are so awful that they will they they should by all rights uh, drop. I'm thinking Spezia, Salernitana, Venezia, Empoli. Uh, you know these these are teams that that aren't good as good as Genoa, and Genoa should be able to to do that. But I don't know if 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 Shevchenko is the right man to help them stay up i think you need to be much more gritty i think you need to you need to have experience of these situations and i don't think and we, and, I, and we don't and we know that andrei shevchenko absolutely does not have any experience of this as a coach fair comment in andrew what was your take on sort of shevchenko's first game in charge well it's difficult to judge because first game in charge he's had two weeks with the team yes you can say that's a bit of time but as nima's already touched on of the kind of football that Shevchenko is known for, well, especially when he was with Ukraine, he wants to play progressive football, build up 
uh, from the back, that kind of thing. And I mean, in a relegation battle where probably points and the result is more important than anything else, I don't know whether Shevchenko is going to have any time or even the ability to try and instill some sort of fancy stuff. Yes, we saw in certain games he was quite gritty and able to get the odd win against the likes of Spain, where Ukraine were basically under the cost a lot, and then they played on the counter. But just looking at the well, the general squad that started yesterday, especially in attack, it was very slow. Just the whole team just looked a bit not even unfit, if anything. Sort of like they don't look prepared for the run-in that they've got coming up, which I think we mentioned it. A few weeks ago, they've got about six of the top eight before the January window opens. So that's a massive task ahead. He's got Milan coming up, Atalanta, Juventus. Bloody hell, it's it's just going to be all systems go, really. And Shevchenko, I think, in one of his opening press conferences said, we're going to try and take points off the teams that are sort of our direct rivals. And I mean, I think they're only playing like Udinese who are like anywhere near them. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be very tough. I think make it to January for sure. Um, I, I, you'd hope that the American investors give him some money to get some transfers in, even loans or anything like that. And then potentially he could stay up like yesterday uh, on you in an interview to Ukrainian TV he said that staying up with Genoa this season is like, for me, winning the Champions League. So it's that sort of, uh, that's his goal. And we'll see how long he lasts. Uh, as Nima said, we don't know how volatile the new owners are in terms of ready being ready to sack him straight off. And if he was to get sacked, which I don't know, personally, I don't know whether he would before the end of the season that would probably hinder his coaching career, you know, on the basis that, oh, it hasn't worked out straight off. Where's he going to go next? Sort of, it's not, it's rather, rather than a stepping stone, it might be a step back, but um, I guess only time will tell as we're only just past match day one against a quite a decent Roma squad, if not playing the best football at the moment. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So it's going to be an interesting one. Is there any chance he could be out of a job before we get to the January window? And if we get to the January window, I mean, do do we expect him to look towards some of the Ukrainian players that helped to uh, build the success at the Euros this summer? Or do we think he's going to go down the, maybe towards his Milan routes and look for players there to help strengthen Genoa's squad? I absolutely think there is a chance he could be sacked before you reach January. It depends entirely on how the results go. I mean, looking at where they are uh, in the table, they they are not, they've got nine points after 13 games. Spezia are just above them on 11. Um, Udinese, Sampdoria, teams that shouldn't be there uh, as well as slightly up ahead. Venezia, 15 points. So, I mean, they're within touching distance. But, I mean, they play Udinese next week away. Then they have Milan at home, which they probably won't get. You know, that'll be a special game for Shevchenko. Um, but then I'm looking at, at, the, at the games. You know, they've got Juventus away. Um, no one expects them to do anything against Milan and, 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 and them. But then they've got the derby against Sampdoria. And that is, for those who don't follow Italian football, I think that is probably the most heated derby in Italy. Um uh, in terms of you know the prestige between these two clubs, it's very very heated. I mean Roma and Lazio, sure, um, that 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 would come that would come close. Uh, it, you know it's between those two. If I if I were to choose a derby, um, so no, but they they do they don't have an easy fixture list. I mean, then they you know they <laughs> they've got Lazio and then they've got. Atalanta, so, you know, before the Christmas break. And these are teams, these are difficult teams, and no one's expecting Genoa to win those games, you know, against the top sides. But if they go into January and he's got, he doesn't have any, if, I mean, he doesn't have any wins, um, and they they risk being really, really sawed off at there at the bottom, bottom, I don't know how they, you know, I, I just don't see how they, I mean, unless the American owners have basically taken long-term project and said, you know, we don't care, you know, we have to stay up, but even if, you know, 
worst comes to worse, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll rebuild in the city of B. I can't imagine they have, I can't imagine they would have said something like that, but I, I, this, this kind of appointment, if you're going to have play progressive football and create an ideology and blah, 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 you don't do that mid season. Um, It's, it's very strange decision to appoint him. So um, if that's the idea, and and I, and I generally this this really took me off by off guard. It, was, it seems like it's one of more one more of a PR uh, and media decision behind it. And to you know look at us, we're here, we can pull big names. Yeah, Shevchenko was one of the best strikers in Serie A history. There's no doubt about that. But as a coach, he's barely had coached at this level before. Um, so it's 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 quite the risk they're taking, and and that is a special city. It's a special piazza, as I say in Italy, and 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 you know they 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 they, they you know if 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 results don't change, I think it might his, his situation could be untenable. It's going to be an interesting watch. I mean, for all of us from the Ukrainian side, we want nothing but the most success. Yeah, but yeah, I just want to I just want to add to that. I mean, of course, <laughs> of course, you know. Um, uh, that you know he he you know he wants to launch his career uh, as a coach as a top coach, which is why I also find find it so strange that he accepted this job because exactly like Andrew said, this could kind of you know destroy him more um, if it doesn't work out because as as Andrew said, if it doesn't work out, then it'll be like that that just looks that'll just ruin his reputation. Um, so, so it, it's it's a risk both parties are taking, but one one hopes that when 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 clubs and and, man, and former players and managers make these decisions, that there is a thought process behind more than just you know want to give this a go. Andrew, anything to add there? I mean, the only thing I can add is that there's been some chat that if Shevchenko does fail in this, he'll say it was like a double-edged sword that he was never it was always going to be a lose-lose situation (laughs) but as we've mentioned already where he'd go next if it doesn't work out for him at Genoa is a huge massive question probably Dynamo Cave would be the only option (laughs) well that's that's exactly what I was going to say I mean I'm surprised that he didn't start at a Ukrainian club mm-hmm. uh, or uh, I mean, I, uh, you know, we, okay, fine. You've seen at international level. It's not that many games. They have lots of time to prepare. They have a staff, they have a backroom staff, all that stuff. But I mean, you'd expect someone like Shevchenko to, to maybe start at Kiev um, and, and to build from there uh, because that's, that's his club, isn't it? I mean, that, that seems like, or even to start somewhere even lower than that and try to, you know, build yourself up the same way that Antonio Conte did when he was with, you know, with the different clubs, Siena, Bari, Atalanta, you know, all, all these places he was before he went to Juve. Um, and, and other examples are people like Clarence Seedorf and Filippo Inzaghi who took over Milan and it was an abject failure. And, and you know, Simone Inzaghi, sorry, Filippo Inzaghi has never really cover, recovered from that. And I don't think he will. And Clarence Sedov just basically, God knows what he's doing. He's not even a coach anymore. He's an assistant coach for Iraq, I think, for Gus Hiddink. Uh, sorry, not Hiddink, um, Advocat, I think, is in charge of Iraq, the Iraqi national team. So it's, it's a, you know, it, it, you do gamble um, if, you know, there's... You, you do expect big players when they turn coaches to have a better idea of what they want to do. Um, and I think that there is no, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, with, well, then the people point to Pep Guardiola and Zinedine Zidane fine, but that's different because Pep Guardiola and Zidane, they were both at the Cantera of, of each club, you know, the youth club, uh, youth team of, of each club. And they kind of, you know, he worked behind Zidane worked behind Ancelotti. He was his assistant. You know, there was something there to, to not have any experience to do what, you know, Pirlo did, uh, literally didn't even have his coaching badges before they gave him the Juve job. That's that, that rarely, that, that's usually a, a, a recipe for disaster. Really is. It really is. Well, let's move on. Let's move on. We got some games to discuss as well today. <laughs> uh, First one I think we should touch on is 
Shakhtar into for what feels like the hundredth time in the last <laughs> yeah. few years. He really does. It really yeah. feels. I mean, it feels like we've, as a, from an Inter perspective, it feels like we play Shakhtar as often as we play Sassuolo and Sampdoria. It's, it's like it's it's just <laughs> all the time. Um, and it's a weird one as well. I mean, after that five 0 win, it's been three goalless draws in a row. Um, it's it's a strange game uh, between these two. Um, uh, I mean, every single one of those. I mean, last year at the San Siro, uh, Shakhtar completely. I mean, now you, can, you can't blame them. They 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 could have qualified third in that group, and of course they were going to play defensive and park the bus. You know, we can't. You know, can't, there's nothing to blame there. And Inter shouldn't have been in that position to begin with, uh, have, have, if they hadn't choked in those other games. So um, in the group, so so. But, but I think this time around is different because this is an Inter that is brimming with confidence after the best performance under Simone Inzaghi, uh, the new coach, un, in, uh, under that era. The, the 75 minutes against Napoli on Sunday, Inter were outstanding. They they dominated the best team in the Serie A for 75 minutes um, and deservedly won that game and should have probably closed off that game uh, sooner. Um, but that's the, that, that's why I think that there's a chance for Shakhtar here, and that is when Inter Inter have this crazy and you know this this ability to kind of put the complicate lives for themselves in ways that it's almost impressive. Now I've followed this club for about since 1989, and no one can snatch defeat from the jaws of victory like Inter can. It's it's unbelievable. Like how do you do that? Um, the, the, you know, if there was a world championship in complicating life for yourself for no reason, it, it, Inter would be intergalactic champions. And, and, and it, you know, this, you see this time and time again. But having said that, this is a team that is in harmony. It's in balance. Things are finally coming together. He's gotten the balance between the attack and the defence, right? And he said immediately, Simone Inzaghi, after the game against Napoli, that, no, the biggest game of our season is on on Wednesday. So because Inter know if they win that game and Real Madrid draw or win their game, both clubs are through to the next round. And and that is an incredible incredibly important for Inter who've not done that since 2012. And in the 3 years, you know, for the 3 4 years where Inter have been in the Champions League now since returning, they've they've completely bottled it and never gone through the group stage and that's really important for the club. Um, so I, I think I do think I do think that this is one game that Inter will 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 create lots of chances, um, and I and I do expect them to win this. I really do. I, I don't think there's going to be five nil or anything stupid like that, but I do think there's going to be quite a few goals in this. I think Shakhtar will definitely score because in, Inter just doesn't you know even if Inter are defensively sound in games, they have a goalkeeper who literally is so past their best his best that it's it's tragic now samir handanovic during the 10 years that he's been at the club has been one of the one of, one of the few shining lights in a decade a decade of darkness at inter but he is so past his best now and it's tragic to see he makes these howlers time and time again and he mixes us up with making these insane saves like he did on Sunday as well so you don't you know he's he's definitely inter definitely going to concede the question is how many goals do they score going forward well I was listening to that that just sounds exactly like Piatov I've got to say that's what I was about to say (laughs) (laughs) be trubbing in goal on Wednesday due to the fact that uh, Piatov is as we've already mentioned Past his sell-by date. He really is. I mean, what's 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 the vibe in the Shakhtar camp at the moment, Andrew? Um, any any sign of optimism? I mean, you were at the Real Madrid game. What was it two weeks ago? After that, is is there any hope? For me, I I can't see it. I still don't know where the goals goals will come from. But for you. What's you know? What sort of the feeling on the ground there? I mean, it seems unlikely. Off the back, Ima just said the fact that Inter are playing so well at the moment against the Shakhtar, who are very much up and down. They beat Ruch on the weekend, but basically Ruch parked the bus. All of the players' average positions were in their own half. They completely dominated, but just about scraped a two-nil win with two very late goals. 
I think it's going to be tough. Uh, against Real Madrid, they played really well. I think that was a lot to do with the Mudrik wild card mm. paid off. Sort of a bit of extra spice in attack that maybe Ancelotti wasn't expecting. But I mean, <laughs> the amount of chances that Inter have had against Shakhtar in those past three nil-nils and not ended up scoring. They've wasted loads of chances on top of great goal kick that might eventually, you know, come up trumps that interbreak the deadlock. I mean, that's it. We keep we keep saying it every every time. I mean, Nima, can I, I'll come back to you here. I, you're talking about at the moment about you know sort of what a great performance it was at the weekend and that. For you, what is it that has took into to this sort of next level, shall we say, this season? Mm. I, I think it's it's it started with Luciano Spalletti who who instilled a professionalism at the club and I mean Samir Andanovic spoke of this that you know when the, the transformation began with Spalletti you know he he, he got the club to to four two four fourth place finishes back in the Champions League a bit disappointing and then Antonio Conte came in and he took the club to the next level albeit not in the Champions League, but he did take him to the final of the Europa League, finished second in the Serie A, and then the year after, even though they kind of flopped historically in the Champions League, they won the league in record-breaking fashion. Um, and then, you know, he left in dramatic fashion in the summer. Lukaku was sold, Hakimi was sold, Christian Eriksen had a medical injury, um, and, and Inter replaced them somewhat adequately, uh, to certain, you know, given you know, given the financial crisis, they couldn't have done much better than they did. So, but Simone Inzaghi is 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 a the difference is that Simone Inzaghi is an up and coming coach. He's not an established coach. I've been a big fan of his since 2017 um, when I you know when I saw him there for two two seasons at Lazio, and I I remember writing an article or, or a feature saying that why I think Simon Zaghi will be the next Italian super coach. And I really do think so because not because he's a tactical genius or, or a visionary like Pep or Conte or, or Klopp or anyone like that, but because he's a very modern and progressive coach, but he's also very good at man management and his ability to identify weaknesses in oppositions. Um, for example, against Napoli, I could have, I would have, I would never in a million years thought that Kalidou Koulibaly would be the weakest link of Napoli's defence. But not only did Simone Inzaghi pinpoint that, but he completely hammered it. And, and Koulibaly had a shocker in the first half. He was awful. Uh, recovered better in the second half when, when you know, the energy levels went down somewhat. But, but still, he, he knows how to, you know, he, he gets games right from the start. The thing that he needs to work on, um, Simone, is, is is his tactical approach mid games. It's 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 very Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde with him. Um, you know, if he his tactical changes are either absolute success or an abject failure. There's no in between. This ability to kind of ride out games. I mean. It's not so much the players he brings on, but it's the tactical substitute, so tactical decisions and changes he makes mid games, where he gives away the initiative for no reason. Like for for example, against Napoli, he brings off the he changes the entire midfield except for Brozovic, and he moves Perisic up into Lautaro's position, takes Lautaro off, and he brings on Vidal, Gagliardini, and Di Marco. Now none of these players are rather are, are dynamic. Um, and Vidal can barely jog at his age, so uh, and and his you know even you know he, even though he's been good this season, but he's, he's not he's not a very dynamic player anymore. It's not the Arturo Vidal that we saw at Juventus under Antonio Conte. Far from it. But that that just gave the initiative entirely away to Napoli, and he does these kinds of mistakes time and time again, um, which is a bit unnecessary. Um, um, but but having said that, you know those two wins against Sheriff. Inter completely dominated that those two games. They and and even against Real Madrid, the defeat against Real Madrid, Inter were the better side. They just can't get the ball into the net, and that is why that is the main problem Inter have. That despite scoring so many goals, Inter don't have a natural goal scorer in the team. You know the guy who gets 25, 30 goals. You know you know every season, like they had in Lukaku, like they had in Icardi. They don't have that. Lautaro isn't a goal poacher. I don't think he'll ever, he ever will be, but he has other traits that are really good. Edin Dzeko at 35, we can't ask him to do any more than he's already done. 
Uh, Joaquin Correa is has never scored double digits in in the last. I mean, once in ten years he's done that uh, in assists and goals. And then the all, uh, and then you have Alexis Sanchez who's injured again after being with with a national team. And you have an eighteen year old Martin Satriano. So, you know, the 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 club the team lacks a natural goal scorer. But it's a very uh, it's a very attacking team. It's a team that presses really well up the pitch. It's a, it's a team that puts its opponents in difficulty, and it's a very direct team. Um, it's not um, like, for example, Antonio Contezinta was a was was a systematic built up systematically. His calcio verticale, playing from ref, you know sawing your way through the opposition from left to right, the long ball up to Lukaku, who plays it back to Lautaro, who plays it out to the wing, or the other way around, and you saw your way through from left to right, right to left. Uh, and that, that's not how he plays in Zaghi. He's much more direct and much more horizontal, whether it's down the flanks or down the middle, doesn't really matter. It's it's wherever the the um, the, the the numerical advantage happens to to be. Um, so it's um, you know he he's he's much more progressive that way and um, and and it's 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 going to be interesting to see how Roberto De Zerbi uh, the Shakhtar coach approaches this. I mean De Zerbi ha- was was had a decent career at Sassuolo and one of the best defensive performances I've seen in the last few years was when De Zerbi completely nullified Inter's attack under Conte in a goalless draw a couple of seasons ago. I was so impressed by that. But since then, De Zerbi's hardly been known for his, you know, for, for presenting a team that's defensively solid. Um, so, uh, so it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, but I do think that he'll go into this game with a game plan to try to frustrate Inter in the first half and then try to hit them on some sort of counter and then close up shop. I think that's his game plan. Um, as you mentioned, his time at Sassuolo, can I just get your take on Marlon? Because here, here at Ukraine Force Football, we're all very confused about him. We've been overly disappointed, shall we say, very disappointed by, by his performances in central defence. Were you surprised that he was one of the first signings De Zerbi made when he moved to Ukraine? Well, we, I mean, I wasn't surprised. I, I knew that. De Zerbi would have wanted one of his own, you know, one, one you know, player that understands him and he know that knows him, um, and they they needed to cash in because of COVID, and so it kind of felt normal and and you know made sense that they sold uh, Marlon uh, because obviously central in terms of central defense they had options that could you know back you know that, that they could replace. So I don't know. I, I I really don't know because I thought I I liked him in the Serie A. I really did. I thought he was he was good, but I did, I was surprised when he he left for Shakhtar because I don't I, for me he was a much more of an attacking defender than he was of a of, of a defensive defender, and so I can completely understand why you guys are confused because that deal was confusing to me, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it's just I think uh, Andrew, I don't know if you support me on this one or not but for me he's 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 just been littered with mistakes since he arrived in Ukraine this year and we I think I don't know maybe it was just my own naivety a little bit but I was expecting somebody that would would be making less mistakes when coming across I was curious about your opinion on him I mean Andrew you you in a similar boat yeah, no, I completely agree with you, Adam. And to the extent that Nima said that he's an attacking centre-back, that probably explains <laughs> yeah. what we're seeing there. But sadly, for a team like Shakhtar, they need a defensive centre-back who's going to be mopping things up and complementing Matvienko and Stepanenko. You know, and especially when they've got, with the likes of what Dezerbi is playing with, um, <clears throat> Maikon playing, who's not that defensively orientated either, Mm-hmm. It sort of is a a load of a mashup of misery when they come against the top teams. I mean, in the UPL, very easy when you're playing against 10 men behind the ball. And that's what it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, as Anima mentioned, uh, during his time at Sassuolo, Zerbi had a great defensive performance against Inter. But then he's not really been playing park the bus football 
um, in the Champions League this season. So not at all, not at all. <laughs> I saw. Uh, I think it was in the qualifying stages of the Champions League. I mean, I think Shakhtar are lucky to be in the Champions League based on that last game. Yeah. That was one of the most insane sequences of play I think I've seen. <laughs> that at the end there, um, how that ball didn't go into the back of the net is beyond me. Um, it was it was a bit almost cartoonish, wasn't it? Um, but no, it's but he is. I mean, in terms of progressive and attacking play, Deserbi was one of those. He was one of those hipster coaches that everyone, you know, it was him and Vincenzo Italiano that everyone was like, you know, excited about. Um, you know, they're going to, you know, they're the next generation of Italian coaches and, you know, they, they play progressive, fun football. And and his his Sassuolo, I mean, you know, got to give credit where credit is due. I mean, Jeremy Boga, Berardi, uh, Caputo, these guys, they, they scored a lot of goals. They did. But they also hemorrhaged a lot of goals as well. I think that, yeah, we can uh, sort of connect with that that ideology <laughs> there as well. We do do see a lot of mistakes at the back when you were talking there about Inzaghi being able to pinpoint weaknesses in the opposition. First of all, I thought the fullbacks being too far up the field, and then I thought Marlon that will be the other problem. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, but having said that, you, there there will be space to attack as well because Inter are are equally as as, as fragile mentally as well. I mean, it's. I mean, you know, the two goals against Napoli that they conceded were just two individual or three individual errors. Uh, you know, Barella losing the ball, which can happen in transition, and that's when Inter are vulnerable. And then Handanovic, it just can't, you know, makes, just cannot seem to save a ball that goes directly at him. Um, and uh, and the second goal was Edin Dzeko falling asleep with the ball just in front of defence and, and is dispossessed and then Dries Merten scores an absolute screamer. So, I mean, if, if, if Inter are going to play like that, then 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 I'm, there's no doubt in my mind that Shakhtar's going to hurt them. Um, and, and Inter can't seem to keep a, keep a clean sheet right now. So, yeah, there's def- I think there's goals to be had in this game for both teams. Okay, well, predictions time then. Shall we go there, Andrew? Nil-nil. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm thinking four two Inter. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy this game. Inter can't play nil nil. Like it's just not. They, they just they, they just cannot play go, goalless draws right now. Um, I mean even if they, I mean even that that first game in in uh, you know against Shakhtar, that was the game that Inter. I mean how many sitters did they miss? Yeah, uh, uh, it's. It was out. It was incredible. Um, so no, it's I. 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 You know, if if sure, if Inter are going to miss sitters, then yeah, th- there's a big chance they this game ends one nil, nil nil. But um, or even Shakhtar win, wouldn't even surprise me if Inter did not. You know, didn't they pull the stinker after beating Napoli? It'd be like the most Inter thing ever to do. But um, no, it's um, it, it's going to be an ex- it's going to be an interesting game to watch. It's, I think the Zerbi will want to show off that show show himself off a little bit now that he's back in Italy as well. Um so I don't mm-hmm. I think he'll try to try to, you know, he knows Simone Inzaghi, having played him a couple of times as well with Sassuolo. So um I think these teams know each other fairly well. So I it'll be inter- it'll be an interesting tactical battle between them. Certainly will be certainly will I'm and well, one thing I'm gonna have to just add before we end if uh Shakhtar don't win, they're out of the Europa mm. League as well. That's their season over. And the game against Sheriff in the final match day will be a dead rubber. Mm. Just, yeah. a, just a little nail in the coffin there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if I mean, that's the thing, though, because Inter have a match point here and Inter have a history of choking in these situations. Um, you know, not being able to put the, you know, to, to, to just secure that bloody qualification to the next, you know, to the next round of the Champions League. So there is history here. It wouldn't surprise me one bit uh, if, Inter, if Inter choked again, but it, but it just doesn't feel like that's the kind of performance I'm expecting to see from Inter. Not, not where they are mentally right now. Um, uh, but, I, but then again, it's, they, they don't call it crazy Pazza Inter for nothing. <laughs> Very well, Paul. Very well, Paul. Now, it's not the only game going on in Italy this week as well, of course. Uh, Zoria will be travelling to the capital to take on Roma. Um, what's been the attitude towards the Conference League in Italy, Nima? Is it considered just a bit of a hindrance or has the Italian public embraced it? Oh, they haven't. I mean, the Roma fans are not happy about this at all. They, 
they are not happy about this. They they I, I, they'd rather get knocked out. I think uh, to be honest, um, and I don't think this is a competition that Roma will take that seriously until they reach maybe a quarter semi final even, or, and maybe not even then. To be honest, um, I I personally am kind of hoping and praying for a Antonio Conte Tottenham Jose Mourinho Roma final. Um, simply because of the fireworks that would provide um, between those two managers uh, who don't particularly like one another um, and and also both of them being rather verbally gifted and and not sh- to sh- not shy away from from controversial statements towards <laughs> the other um, so so that that's just for me me wanting to be entertained um, I I think that I think Mourinho doesn't can't I think he he will have to rotate um, because there's no doubt that he you know he has to focus on the Serie A. Their goal is to finish top four in the Serie A. I don't think they're going to make it because I don't think they're good enough to make it in the top four. I don't think they can stake a place in the top four. I think the top four in Italy is so tight, and Roma aren't there yet. They they're there's they're just a little too much of a difference between the Atalanta, Juve, Napoli, Inter, Milan, and that you know the, the, those five are competing for four places. I think Roma and Lazio are, are a little bit way off still, but you know well it's, it's they have to play for it as well, don't they? But um, you know it's been tough. It's been you know it's it's been very dramatic, and we knew it was going to be fireworks. I mean the city of Rome. The club Roma, which is so volatile, and then you put in Mourinho into that. It's like you know, it's hello gasoline tank meet diamond. Sorry, meet meet the uh, dynamite and meet match. So what could possibly go wrong? Um, so it's it's but but I do expect them to progress to the second stage um, somewhat comfortably, um, and and but but the focus is the Serie A for sure. Definitely, definitely. I. Andrew, we were we were probably a bit optimistic, or sh- shall we say, growing with optimism about Zoria's chances, and then they go and put in a performance like they did at the weekend. Lost two one to Livia Blasi. Huh? You just can't. I mean, we were talking about Shakhtar's performances being sort of roller coastery, but yeah, Zoria complete unpredictability. I mean, it's not like they were particularly playing a weakened side or anything like that. They they just didn't have the minerals to beat an Olive Dulub very sort of um, stern, solid test. Uh, is it concerning ahead of going into this Roma game where they also need to win to ensure that they stay in the competition? I mean, we, we spoke about this when the draw was made. It was going to be a group of death. In, well, we didn't expect Bodo Glimp to be as good as they are, but I think they're pretty much almost nailed on to win the group, really based on their performances so far. And they could may very well be qualified come the final match day. So, yeah, I'm not as optimistic for Zoria. Uh, I will be in Rome for that one as well. Um, just see what happens. Just going up for a jolly with some of the ultras experience. What about five people in the away end um, in the Stadio Olimpico is going to be like in that respect. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, if, if the likes of Saad Manesh want to make a big name for themselves, a big shop window, statement then Thursday will be the moment to do it maybe not against CSK Sofia all the time let's see if he can do it against the big teams like he did last season against Leicester but uh, I'm not particularly confident Uh, I could see something like another repeat of a a 3-0 loss sadly and that would be the expectation but as you said quite rightly uh, it was 12 months ago that not only did Sidemanesh make a name for himself uh, thinking about Vassil as well who got his move to Bundesliga 2 off off the back of some of those performances in the Europa League last year so maybe these Zoria players that we keep talking up and they keep letting us down will put in performances that they can do but yeah I'd say the expectations there aren't overly optimistic at all and uh, we could be saying goodbye to Another one of our teams. I 
Andrew, am I right? I mean, when was the last time there was no spring football for Ukrainian teams? It, it must be going back a fair while. Um, 13 years, I think. It was 2007-2008, the season before uh, Shakhtar won the UEFA Cup, I think. So it, it's been a long time and it's quite worrying for Ukraine's coefficients. Sadly, um, could see a slide in the next coming years, especially with next season, uh, them losing their automatic place in the group stages. So, yep, uphill battle. Um, and it will be on the shoulders of the likes of Deserbi and also whoever's going to be at Dynamo come next season to pick that up. Andrei Shevchenko. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Bloody well good, maybe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, talking about Dynamo, of course, we we do have another game to talk about here, don't we? And uh, I mean, we were talk. Obviously, we spoke at length there about Shakhtar's uh, trip to to Milan. I'm still more optimistic about Shakhtar getting something from the game in Milan than I am about Dynamo uh, at home against Bayern Munich. Are you in the same boat as me? Yeah, uh, sadly, it's going to be a tough one, even though Bayern are apparently going to be about seven players who've got COVID, and that's the likes of Musiala, uh, Gnabry, Trooper Moting, who's probably going to start. This is, you know, one of those. I could see uh, Nagelsmann going for a bit of an experimental lineup, and he's got Sulazal, um, Kimmich. So, it's a, it's going to be a weakened Bayern team. But as we've seen, Dynamo playing against weakened Barcelona sides and possibly one of the worst Barcelona in recent history, they still can't even give them a decent enough fight to get a draw or something like that. I think it's they're ultimately going to have probably too much. And the fact that Lewandowski's starting to begin with, I mean, following the first game, which they weren't even that too full steamer and won, what, 4-5-0? I can't remember. It was just a complete rampage. I think this time I wouldn't be surprised if there was a similar result just because Lichescu is ultimately so uninspiring in his uh, tactics and style of play. Yes, they're at this sort of plateau at the moment. You know, they've been... They can do the job in the UPL. They've, they can get those results against the teams they play in week in, week out. But when they come against these top elite sides, the quality in the squad just sadly isn't there. And the and the likes of the big players, such as Tahankov, never step up to the plate. They really don't. They really don't. It's, yeah, it's a sad state of affairs there with Dynamo, say, so, uh... I'm not expecting any goals, and Ray, who sadly can't be with us this evening, I think his prediction earlier this year of the big zero in the, the goal score column could very well come true. But that's just about it for today, as far as I believe. Um, we do want to give a little shout out, a little bit of Champions League success. We have had obviously had victories in the Women's Champions League with Zitlerbud getting their first ever victory and taking them, of course, Andrew, their coefficient has stuck them up into two teams in the Champions League for two seasons' time. So, whereas the men's side of the game's letting us down, the ladies' side is stepping up to the plate at the moment. Nice stuff, nice stuff. Really is, and I think you're going to be at the game at Hampton on Friday as well, I believe. Yes, a marathon week for me of uh, multiple cities, um, multiple travelling. I was surprised you're not dropping in at Budapest as well for the, the, the first international there. Um, but of course, that's it for today. As always, great, great to have you all listening with us. Nima, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, really enjoyed listening to you and the insight you've provided. Well, pleasure was all mine. Thank you for having me. For people who are new to the pod, have been following us for a while and would like to follow some of your stuff a little bit more. First of all, 
how often do you put the podcasts out? And secondly, where's the best place for them to, to find you? Um, we, we do a minimum two episodes, full episodes a week on the Italian Football Podcast. Um, one Monday one is usually a review show of the weekend's action. And the Thursday one is usually an interview episode, we, we, which we interview people in and around Italian football. We've had everyone from Sven-Goran Eriksson on twice to Roy Hodgson to former players, Nocerino, Diamanti. Uh, to journalists, we had former two former boxing world champions, Joe Calzaghi and Pauli Malenaggi, who both are big culture fans, to even a British chef, Aldo Zilli, who was talking about, you know, his, his, you know, so we try to bring in all kinds of people with an interesting, uh, you know, story to say, to, to say about Italian football in and around. Um, and then we also do like instant post-match reactions and stuff like that. Uh, Sempre Inter, uh, you know, we do interviews 24-7 and we also do a podcast called Studio Inter, which Andrew was really nice to come on uh, to help us understand Shakhtar uh, ahead of that game. And I've also learned how to say Shakhtar, thanks to Andrew. Um, I used to pronounce uh, it wrongly before, but now I know how to do that properly, to say it properly. Um, and and uh, yeah, it's uh, that, that, that one's out on... Um, uh, you know, wherever you get podcasts, uh, uh, Apple, you know, all that, you know, Google, Apple, all that. But the Italian football podcast is on patreon.com slash TIFP uh, for $2.99 US dollars per month. Fantastic. Fantastic. To say. Once again, thank you for, for joining us, Andrew, as well. Been a great episode. <laughs> I don't know how you're keeping up with the fast pace you're living. I, I, I fall asleep. <laughs> Trying to focus, trying to follow you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tiring, but um, hey ho, we've got to get the most of all these trips before the winter break sets in, and then we'll be thinking of new projects to do. We've got a few things lined up, but yeah, stay following uh, Zori Londonsk on Twitter and Instagram, and of course, get involved with on YouTube Ukraine Plus Football for vlogs from all these trips that I'm doing, and also more episodes from the tour and just more content in general coming up in the coming weeks and months. Fantastic. And of course, I'm Adam at Ukrafoot24. You can follow me across all the social medias as well for me giving my little sort of insight and opinions on things as they happen. But till then, take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now. Bye-bye. Head, please, please, head.